Good morning, White Oak. My name is Chris Emmons. Uh, I'm glad you're here with us this morning. Um, and especially if you're someone who's new or you're, or you're a guest here with us today, we're really glad you decided to spend your morning with us. Thanks for being here. Welcome. Now, since September, we've been in a great series where we've been diving into Romans and learning what the Apostle Paul has to teach us about faith, about sin, and about grace, all right? And if you've missed any of this series, I would encourage you to try to get caught up and listen to them. There's some great messages out there. You can check those out on our White Oak app. You know, you can listen to them right there on the app or on our website, dwocc.com. You can check them out there. Um, Also, we'd love for you to be reading through Romans. Um, I've been doing this myself as a part of my own time, as well as my life group has been doing it together. We've been going through the questions about Romans, and it is so great to kind of get a bunch of people together and talk about what we're taking from Paul's message, from Paul's letter. It's so enlightening to get so many different viewpoints and ideas about what each person's taking away from that. Uh, and it gives me such a deeper respect for what Paul's trying to say. So I'd encourage you to be doing that, okay? Now, it's interesting, you know, the video shows Halloween is this week, right? It's crazy to think that Halloween's right up on top of us. September was so hot that I feel like it was still part of the summer, so it's like all of a sudden October's here, and I'm like, oh, it's Halloween already. I can't believe it. But you know what the best part of Halloween is? There's two things that are really good about Halloween. That means on Friday, you get to start listening to Christmas music. Did you know Hallmark movies started this week? I know that because my wife watches them, and I don't. Um, So FYI, you can watch those. It's on all day. Yeah. Um... The other thing, too, is, is that I get to steal my kids' Christmas, um, Christmas candy, Halloween candy. I get to steal their candy because my boys are two and five, and they don't know any better. Like, they go to sleep, and I'm like, I'm going to eat your candy. Um, so this is, I get to do that. I kind of feel bad for you guys if you've got kids in here, and they're either out of trick-or-treat phase, or they're old enough to know to hide their candy from you. I feel bad for you. Adam, what do you do as a parent once that happens to get free candy? I guess if you're small enough, you could just dress up yourself and wear a mask. No one would know. Just, like, disguise your voice. Trick or treat. That didn't even sound convincing. So I can't do it because I'm vertically bigger than most kids. Um, so, but if you can do that, we'll, we'll be checking masks at Trunk or Treat tonight, okay? Now, this time of the year also brings up an interesting topic in my house because inevitably there's commercials, books... Kids' books, everything has, like, the Halloween-themed stuff start coming out, and there's monsters, right? Like Dracula and Frankenstein and um, zombies. That's a big one. I mean, zombies are huge now. Uh, And mummies, right? So, like, my son Sam, he's five. He likes to ask me. Anytime one of those things comes up or we see it, he says, those aren't real, right? And, of course, I'm telling him they're not real as I'm jumping out of his closet to scare them. Go so real! Like that. And he's like, Ugh. But this is what th- I have to constantly say to him. No, they're not real. They don't exist. I haven't yet had the heart to tell him that mummies actually are a real thing. They just aren't what you see in books, right? Um, they're just dead. But it mean, then leads me t- to start thinking, like I'm thinking through this, and I'm like, you know, I get to tell him that these monsters aren't real, but... The thing is, is that it makes me start thinking about monsters, not just those kind of monsters, but monsters we actually deal with, right? Like monsters that we deal with in our life, like addiction or pain or anger 
or one that we're going to talk about today, actually, that's a real monster that people deal with, is like disgrace or shame. Um, I think we all feel shame. That's a monster that we've all felt at some point in our life in some shape or form. And we might have felt it for a short time based upon something we did, or it might be something that we live with regularly, that we are regularly dealing with shame in our lives. You see, shame, it gets a hold of you. It like gets inside of you and it just holds on to your life and it's such this deep emotion and this feeling that makes you feel anguish. And it just doesn't, it, it's, it's so powerful. And, and shame is different than guilt, actually. I mean, we might be thinking of shame as, as a guilt type of thing, but guilt is something we feel, and it really is kind of a positive to feel guilt. I know that sounds crazy to think of, but if you think about guilt, guilt helps us to understand that we know the difference between right and wrong, right? When you feel guilt, it's a way of your, your mind and your heart telling you, yeah, I know what I did wasn't right. That's guilt. Guilt is a good thing to feel. You you should feel guilty. Like when my five-year-old pushes my two-year-old down and he starts crying, him saying sorry is because he knows he did something wrong or it's because I've threatened him. But either way, there's that guilt there of you need to feel a little guilt because you know the difference. But where shame is different is that shame is not just a guilty feeling based upon some action you did. It's this deep feeling that you're just a bad person, that you are inherently bad, that you, you don't, you can't do anything good. Or, and it might be about something that you just feel that you can never escape, that you can never get past. I mean, you might feel shame or disgrace is another way of saying that disgrace because you have an addiction in your life, right? Maybe you feel you can't get rid of that and you'll never be able to get beyond that. Or maybe it's shame you have is because of decisions that you've made in your life years ago and you you hold on to those decisions and you continue to think about them and let them plague your life. Or you might be someone who's a victim. A lot of times victims feel shame because, and they think it's because of something they may have done and brought upon themselves somehow. There's so many statistics that talk about how victims feel shame. See, whatever the reason is for your shame, and I think we've all felt it at some point in our life, you're not alone. You know, the Bible actually tells us a lot of stories about shame that we really ought to be able to to relate to. I mean, if we look at history, as a matter of fact, shame shows up at like the beginning of the story of, of mankind, Okay, so let's look here in Genesis. In Genesis, it says, here, we'll start in Genesis 2. It says, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So they're in the Garden of Eden, right? They're naked. They're not ashamed. They don't care. But what is it? We go on, right? We read more in Genesis. And Adam and Eve now have have made this first sin. They've made this first mistake. And here's here's what it says in 3, starting in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he, that's Adam, said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. There it is. That's the first instance of shame showing up in the, in the world. See, there was guilt there. They knew what they did was wrong, but that guilt gave them shame. They had realized they were naked. 
I mean, they've been naked all this time and they never had a problem with it. It said so just, just a few verses previously. But now all of a sudden they have shame and they realize and they think they're bad people and they've got to cover themselves and hide. I mean, sin has that effect on our lives, doesn't it? When we're making poor choices and we're struggling, we begin to question just whether or not we're maybe just a bad person. Again, we, we can read more that says we're not, we're not alone in that. I mean, if you read the, the book of Psalms, which is written by King David, the king of the Israelites, right? He, he the Jewish nation, he, he basically, he was constantly asking God. He was pleading with God. He was saying, God, please don't let me feel shame. Don't let my enemies bring me shame. Don't bring shame upon me. Let shame be not part of my life. He says it over and over to God. It's one of the things he asks him the most for is that, God, please don't let me feel that. Why? Because David knew that shame was like a punishment. It was like a separation from God to feel shame in his mind. That meant he was going to be far from God if he felt that. And he didn't want that. And so he would plead it. You see, you may not realize it, but Satan wants us to feel shame. He wants it in our life. He's the enemy and he wants that. He's waiting for a moment when you begin to remember your shame, when you begin to feel that shame again, and then he whispers in your ear, you're bad. No one can love you. God won't forgive you. He doesn't have to say it very loud. Because we're, we, we, we ourselves are trying to let shame run our lives. I know I've made that choice. You know, I've got real monsters. I've got real monsters that I've dealt with in my life, that I've felt as a part of my life. A little bit about me, I, I grew up in a Christian home. My, my dad was a pastor as I grew up. And he and my mom did a wonderful job of raising us to understand God's love and to, and to know how to have a relationship with God and, and making that part of our life in prayer and Bible reading and, and just really having a relationship. And as I grew up, you know, I, I was involved in church. We went to church regularly. And, and in later years in high school and middle school and high school, I was in student ministry and really involved in all of those activities. And there were people in my life, student ministry leaders and and pastors and elders of the church who were speaking into my life and saying, like, I think I see potential in you. You know, you, you've got potential. God has a plan for you. So God was, was sending these people and speaking to me. And I started to believe that, and I started to say, you know, maybe, maybe that is the plan for me, is to do God's work, to go into ministry. But I also let the world's view creep into my life. I started to look at what my friends were doing outside of the church and say, well, I want to do that too. Can't I do both? And then when I went, graduated from high school and I went to college and I got a little freedom, right? And what often happens with, with young Christians when they get out of the home and they get out of those, those relationships that they had that kept them on path is I, I, I got off a path. I got off the plan that God had for me and I started going the world's way. And I, I was making poor choices in my friendships and in my relationships. I was, I was looking at things that weren't healthy. I was drinking, taking part in partying and, and doing all those things you hear college kids do. And I kept getting deeper and deeper into 
into sin. And then there was this shame I began to feel, right? That I'd been on such a good track. Like just a few years before, I'd been, I'd been going in the right direction. And now I'm, I find myself completely going the wrong way. And instead of turning back, that would be the smart thing to do, right? I, I, I let that feeling of that I'm on the wrong path and I'm a person start leading my decisions. So I kept going further and just saying, well, if I'm bad, then what difference does it make? And, and so I, I got into an unhealthy dating relationship that actually ended up leading me across the world. I moved to Sydney, Australia, which, you know, is on the other side of the world, basically. So not only did I have this disconnect from my family and, and some of my friends that emotionally, because I was just, I felt shameful, but I literally put as much physical distance as I could between me and them. And I was there for almost two years, and, and when that, that relationship inevitably ended, because it, was, it wasn't where I needed to be, I felt so alone. I, I was really alone. And I was relying on everything but God to sustain me. I, I'll be honest with you. And I kept thinking, you know, the Holy Spirit had been in my life as a kid, and he never left. I might have thought he did, but he didn't. And I kept thinking, you know, I probably ought to try to go back. But then that shame would creep back up inside. And I would think, nope, I don't think, I don't think God will forgive me. You see, I knew there was nothing for me there, so I, I decided it was time to go home. I mean... At that point, I mean, what difference does it make? I shouldn't stay there. I didn't have any friends, really. So I flew back home. I flew in here to CVG. And uh, if you've ever been out to CVG, I was riding that really long escalator up to the top. And I can remember, I can see my mom at the top of this. Now, I get to the top, and she gives me this big hug. It's like something straight out of, like, the prodigal son, if you've ever read that story in the Bible. And I remember thinking, it felt like she was saying, you're home, Now, I want to say to you that it stopped, that the shame would stop right there. And I've realized the error of my ways, but it didn't. Um, Two months later, after I got back home, my mom was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And then two and a half years later, that took her life. Now, in my mind, that hurt That disgrace was hard. You see, I felt far from God. And I felt far from my family for so long. And I thought, he wouldn't forgive me. But see, that shame, it it took it even farther. Shame, like I said, it's, it's powerful. It made me feel like that part of what I had done, my failures, had actually led to her death. Have you ever felt that? Ever felt like what you've done has caused something to someone else or to yourself has caused you, that your situation is because you made bad choices and that you're being punished somehow? And I, I, I stayed with, I mean, I, even though I stayed with my dad and I helped him take care of her, I struggled to pray for her healing. Because in my mind, I thought God was thinking, how could somebody who had... I'm not going to listen to somebody who had such potential and flushed it away. 
Now, it wasn't long after that my mom passed away, and this was 10 years ago, um, that God began to really speak back to me again. And I, I remember the shame was still there. I, I, there is no, for me, the story is a, is a gradual change. And it's, it's not this moment of like one moment I, I realized shame was good, was not good, and the next moment I, I was fine. No, it, it took some time for me to realize that I, I, shame doesn't need to be in my life. But I remember my friend, this guy who had, I'd been friends with years uh, 25 years, right? He and I had made many of the bad choices we made together. Um, and he and I were talking, and we both had been kind of raised the same. And I remember we both were saying, you know, there's got to be something more to life than what we feel. This guilt and this shame, it it's, can't be right. And so we started challenging each other to, to dive back into the Word of God and to really understand what grace was all about. I'm going to take an aside here and tell you that if you're not in relationship with people who challenge you, that's one way to help is to really get somebody in your life who will challenge you and who will speak into your life about what God is all about. We got life groups here we'd be happy to connect you to and and you can start making some connections. But I started diving back into scripture and I still struggled with that shame and whether God really loved me just as I was. I thought, this can't fit into his plan, right? Like, he had a plan for me, I messed it up, okay, the plan's done, right? I thought I'd used up all the forgiveness that God had for me, and now I'm just going to have to figure it out on my own. That's where I was 10 years ago. Now, we're going to read in Romans today. And we're going to read chapter 10 of Romans. We're going to be reading parts of chapter 10. And Paul's going to tell us, we heard last week, that, Paul had, that, God, that God had a plan for us, right? That God's always had a plan for us. But this week, what we're going to find is the plan has actually worked. And that we no longer need to feel shame or disgrace. And that's why today's big idea is, I am not disgraced. Now, we're going to be in Romans 10, like I said, and if you, if you have your Bible, I'd encourage you to, to pull it out. If you don't have a Bible, we've had them at the Hub. We would love to give you one. We'd love for you, like I said, to be reading through Romans, uh, as well as the rest of God's Word. So we'd love to give that to you. You can take that with you. It's, it's, a, it's a gift, okay? But we're going to be in Rome 10, so we're going to move around a little bit in Romans 10, but we're going to start in Romans 10, verse 11, okay? And here's what Paul writes in 10, starting in 11. He says... For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So here we can see that the way to avoid shame is to put our faith and our belief in God. He says, what does he say if we believe in that? That we will not be put to shame. That's everyone. He says everyone there. He's Jesus, just as he's done throughout Romans, right? Paul has said this throughout Romans. I'm sure we've heard this message multiple weeks now. It's, it's not just for people who fit a profile, like the Jews, right? He says, it's the, for the same Lord is Lord of all. 
Paul wanted to remind the Jews who'd been thinking that the Gentiles, that they couldn't just come in and get God's grace, that that wasn't right, actually. Yes, they can. This is true for us as well. I think we think that our sins or our past are going to hold us back somehow. Or maybe you felt like you're just not smart enough or you don't know enough about the Bible to be a Christian. I, I don't know enough about faith and all of that to really believe in all this or to, or to be part of this. Or maybe you think that your social class doesn't fit in with what you think Christianity is about. Like you don't make enough money or you don't have the right friends to be part of Christianity and be part of the, of the forgiveness that God is giving you. That's what Paul's trying to tell us here though. That... No matter our background, no matter our current circumstance, the Lord of all creation gives his grace to all of us. That's why our big idea is so important. Again, it's up here. I am not disgraced. If we look at the word disgrace, we realize that it actually means to have grace taken from you, right? But what Paul is telling us in this letter is that can't happen. No matter what your situation is, you cannot have grace taken away from you. And the problem is, he's saying all this because he, you might think, oh, well, it seems logical, but the thing is, we're going to try to let grace be taken from us every day. We look at our lives and we let shame creep back in and we think we want to think that God's grace isn't enough for that. And that little voice in our head, I talked about it, right? That voice will say, we're not good enough. And the other side, it's the same side of the other side of the same coin, all right, is that there's people who've been raised in the church and have grown up with this biblical education and they've got a strong understanding of faith, but they're, they're relying on religion and rules. And, and they're also turning away grace as well. You see, when Paul wrote this letter, he was writing to two people, We've heard it throughout the letter, right? He was writing to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Now, the Gentiles, he knew they're going to struggle with the fact that they weren't believers before, that they come from a background where they were worshiping other gods and they were making poor choices and they were taking part in things that were not part of God's plan, right? He knew they would struggle with that. And he would think that they would think, I'm not worthy of God's grace. I can't do all this stuff. But to the Jews, he knew they were going to struggle with a different rejection of grace. And here's what he writes right at the beginning of of chapter 10, starting in verse 2. He writes, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul was talking about the church at the time. He knew, he knew what was happening. But this picture really captures where we're, our current situation is today. We have people who, as Paul said, as Paul put it, have a zeal for God, right? But the zeal is sometimes misplaced with rules and laws and traditions, We get so focused on our good deeds. We get so focused on doing it the way it's always been done that we forget that it's really about God's righteousness. This is what the Jews were doing, right? 
They were so focused on the law, they were saying that God couldn't forgive the Gentiles, right? Like, whoa, they haven't been following the law, God. What are you doing? And he wouldn't forgive them unless they started to do it the way the Jews had been doing it all these years. They thought their, their rules and their laws made them more, more worthy of God's gift. But you see, throughout this whole letter, Paul is pointing out to them that their adherence to the law wasn't actually helping them. It was hindering them in their quest for God's grace. See, their, their pursuit of religious privilege, right? We heard that phrase early on, privilege, was a stumbling block for them. They had rejected, because of this, this need for the law, they had rejected the Messiah, Jesus. And if they insisted on continuing to have to make that part of their, their path, they, w- they were going to fail to recognize what Jesus had really done for them. So what did Paul say? It was right there at the end. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Everyone who believes, Paul said. Not just some, but all who believe. Not just those of us that serve in enough places, do enough good deeds, give enough money, follow the rules. And these are not bad things, okay? Don't misunderstand that I'm saying you shouldn't do these things. But to do these things because we think that will give us grace is not the right way to do it. Paul's going to tell us in this chapter what we need to do to really accept the grace, to really understand what it means to be saved. And so we're going to continue here in in, in chapter 10, and, and now we're going to move to verse 9, and here's what he says. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, I'm sorry, I'm I'm moving on from where I've already been there. I'll stop there. You see, Paul says, what we need to do is believe in our heart that Jesus was sent, that he chose to die, and then he raised from the dead. We need to believe that. But he doesn't stop there. Paul was challenging us to cement our belief beyond the intellectual, beyond our minds and our hearts. He tells us to confess the name of the Lord. Now the word in Greek for confessed was homologeo. Homologeo, there's up on the screen, okay? Now, the homo part of that means the same, to be of the same, right? And the word logeo comes from the word logos, meaning like the word or the doctrine or the belief. Basically, he was saying that confession was having the same belief or the same doctrine of another. This was confession. This was confession to say, I believe the same. You're saying aloud that you believe that the same as God. You believe in Jesus Christ. It wasn't enough in Paul's view that you believe it too. You have to say it. You have to say the words. You have to confess it. And if you read throughout history, and he's saying this because he knows the history of the Jewish people, they were regularly hearing God's message, right? They got given God's message. They were regularly understanding God's message, right? They could understand what God was trying to say to them. But then what were they doing? They were rejecting it. 
they would reject the message so many times. They were in the habit of intellectually accepting it, but they just could not put into motion the confession part of believing in God. And that's where we're called to action, where we're challenged. You know, the big idea was, I'm not disgraced. We're being told in here right now, we can't be put to shame. No matter what we've done, we can't have grace taken from us. And what does that mean for us, though? What do we do with that? Now, if we've accepted that grace, then it means we need to confess our faith in Jesus. And that, mean, and that also means taking the message out into the world. And, and Paul, Paul touches on that, too, here. So we're going to look at verse 14. Here's what he says. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. And you may be looking up here thinking, well, that's for like Rick and Nathan and Kevin and me, right? They're like, oh, that's a message for you. But that's not true. That's for all of us. Because in just a few verses, sentences prior, just, just prior to that, we see that Paul is saying that we all need to confess. We all need to confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord. And that means we're verbally acknowledging his lordship in our life. We need to take that belief further. I mean, there's this progression in our lives towards relationship with God. I mean, the first part of that is we're, we're, we get proclaimed to us the word of God. We hear the word of God, right? And so we hear it. We, we hear that. And then we believe it. We believe in God's word. That's, that's where we were intellectually. We believe in our hearts and in our minds about God. But the last part is so critical. We've got to call on God. We've got to ask God to save us. And that means that when we are asking God to save us, that we're living in a way where Jesus is our Lord, right? Depending upon him, resting upon him when things get tough, when we struggle with sorrow and despair. Are we doing that? Are we really relying on God to provide all of our needs? Or are we relying on something else? I mean, that really means that we're going to him when we need to make decisions and not just when we're, things are going well for us. We've we got to do it both in good and bad times. That means we've got to go out and not be afraid of sharing our faith and not being afraid of preaching the good news of grace. We're not going to let reliance on tr- religious traditions and rules hinder our ability to accept people into faith. Right? And we're going to live our lives as actually that grace is all we need. This is what accepting the gift really means. That we're going to turn around and share that grace with other people. Now this is what God did with my life. See, the rest of the story is that not long after I started looking back to God ten years ago, right? For answers, I'd pretty much given up on the idea that I was going to have a family beyond my current family. Marriage was not going to be a thing for me. I thought, I, I've wasted, I've had bad, unhealthy relationships. I've wasted that part of my life as well. And then I met Pam, my wife. Now, I can tell you that she was, was and she still is so kind and funny. She's compassionate. And she's not too bad to look at either, if I'm being honest with you. 
Um, she's way above my league. In case you've ever met her, you know that's true. Um, but I knew early on that this was a gift from God, that God actually sent her to my life. Now, I'm not saying to you, I'm not standing up here and telling you that marriage will fix your problems. That is not what I'm trying to get across, okay? Actually, sometimes it'll cause some more problems for you, okay? But what I will say to you is I looked at that relationship because I knew she was a gift from God. I looked at that relationship in a completely different way. I said, I'm not gonna let shame and fear stand in the way of this, of this relationship, and so I, we, from the very early beginning, we've talked about our faith. I shared from her, talked about faith with intention. And we were married within the next year, and we started going to church together. Now, I'm, I now start thinking about where I was 10, 15 years before, where God had been speaking to my life. And I'm thinking, you know, again, God had a plan for me, but I, I, I guess that plan's done now. And then I start hearing God say to me, I still got a plan for you. And so one day, my wife and I work at the same company, so we're commuting home from work one day, and um, I decide to say to her without any pre-setup to it, hey, how would you feel if I decided to just go into the ministry? And I did not know how she was going to respond to that. I honestly was kind of scared about how she would respond. And she said without any hesitation... That'd be awesome. Now, that was six years ago. Ever since then. And these, when I get upset about, when I start to get, feel these emotions about this, it's a different emotion than sadness. It's like this amazing feeling that God has always had a plan for me. And I started to see it. And these are emotions of happiness, of joy. So joy overwhelming that shame can't exist. I realized that disgrace had no power on my life and that God had always been there. Now, I'm going to go ahead and release the guys that are doing the communion and the offering here so that we can, we're going to move into a moment of reflection here. But I want to say to you, I know there's some of you here today who have not accepted that gift. For whatever reason... You've said what I said all those years ago, maybe. I don't think God can forgive me. You don't know what I've done. He, he, he can't forgive that. I'm too far. I'm a bad person. And you don't, you're saying you don't deserve grace. I don't deserve to be sh- saved. I'm telling you right now, you're not disgraced. You can be saved. There isn't anything that anyone can tell you that can take that from you. You know, if you were in a burning building and a fireman came in to help you and said, hey, I'm here to save you, you're not, most people, I would, I would wager, would not look at them and say, well, you know, the house is burnt pretty bad and I've made some pretty poor choices here and how I've done all this, so I don't think I deserve for you to save me. Nope. I'd say pretty much all of us would say, yes, please help me, save me. And we'd reach out our hands and we'd let them save us. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what he did on the cross. He's putting out his hands. He's looking right at you. And he's saying, you've not done too much. 
You know, breaking the rules doesn't keep you out of my family. I love you. I can save you. There's no shame anymore. I say take his hands. Confess your belief that he can save you. Call out to him to save you. And start sharing that grace with the whole world, okay? Now, we're going to move into a time of communion here. And what we do with communion is it's about remembering that sacrifice. You know, all those years ago when Jesus died upon the cross, before he did that, he was in the room with his disciples. And he, he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. And so today we're going to take a symbol of that. And then he said this, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. We're going to take another symbol. And the cups have both in them. So when you pull that out, the, the body will be in one cup and the, the juice will be in the other. And I encourage you to, as you take that today, to remember, to say to, to remember God's sacrifice for you, for Jesus, what he did for you. As you take that, focus on that. And it, And if you're not a believer and you haven't made that decision yet, you can do that today. Don't let let anything stand in your way. And then we're going to go into a time of offering where we're going to give our gifts back to God. Because we realize the grace we were given and we realize how important that is. And so as a result, we're going to give back. And we want to give back what God gave to us. It was his anyway. Why not give it back? So we're going to do that today as well as a, I think as a time of worship to celebrate offering. But as we do that, before we do that, I just want to pray with you. And I just want you to remember as we go out that there's no shame anymore. The shame doesn't have power in your life. If you're dealing with shame, I encourage you to get into the Word. Read Romans. Romans will really help you understand that shame doesn't have to exist in your life. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for dying for our sins, for choosing to to give us grace. Unmerited, unearned, you did it. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for the, the gift of grace. We just ask you to help us to remember that as we go out this week. Remember that you love us and that you will, there's no more shame. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.